I remember back in the 1970s, I'm not sure exactly what year it was, I remember sitting with my family in the den and watching a miniseries based on Alex Haley's book, Roots. It was, for me, the first time that slavery took on a new light. Actually seeing, even though it was acting, actually seeing a human being in chains being bought and sold, it just brought a whole new light to me as a teenager as I watched that. It, it made it real. Even though you hear about it, you learn about it in school, you, you understand that slavery is real, it made it real to see that, to see people bought and sold as property. You would have thought that the end of the Civil War and that slavery just for us would, would, would not be an issue anymore. But conceivably, up to 4 million people, according to uh, statistics, worldwide could still be in slavery. Imagine that. Up to 4 million people, men and women and young people, who are still in slavery. Many of those wearing literal chains. Obviously, we want to do all we can to pray for those who are suffering that. Uh, We want to do all that we can to support those efforts to try to free people so that all of us can have this, this kind of freedom. But we live in a world where slavery still exists. Sadly, slavery still exists in America. Slavery probably exists right here among you this morning, although your chains may not be visible. For you see, there will be many who have come here today who are still in bondage, who are enslaved, who have heavy chains that they carry around every day. And we think about it, there there, there are lots of things that we can, can be enslaved to, but there's a call that comes from the heart of Jesus for us, and it's a call to freedom. Jesus' first sermon he, he pulled it out of the text from Isaiah. And this is what he said in his first sermon. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came proclaiming freedom and release. Now, obviously, there were some who were literally behind bars and some who were literally in chains. And obviously, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, crushed, removed, broke the shackles of slavery, both in the United Kingdom and the United States, although it took a long time. Those were broken. But there's still bondage. There's still oppression. There is still slavery Because people all over this nation, people right here this morning, may be experiencing bondage in their own lives. Chains that they carry around every day. And Jesus said that one of the reasons that he came is for your freedom. This is echoed throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now obviously we could spend a long time talking about the kinds of chains and the kinds of burdens that we carry. Some of them to to addiction, some are to fear. There are all kinds of things. But this morning I want to drill down on what, what the root is. What Jesus really came to free us from. Because if we can get a grasp on that, then perhaps we can leave this place with our chains 
having been removed. And we can sing from our hearts, not just from our mouths. Our chains are gone. I've been set free. Is there any greater testimony that you could have than to leave this place and say, my chains are gone. Jesus unlatched me and set me free. Let's pray. Father, as we've come to this point in this time, what we ask is that you would speak to us individually, that this would not simply be the words of a preacher spoken on a Sunday morning, and, but they would be something more. Father, we would hear your word as you speak to our hearts and that we would hear Jesus unlocking the chains that bind us so that we can indeed live as you want us to live, free in Jesus. For this we pray in his name. Amen. From what are we freed? From what are we freed? Let's consider what the Bible has to say. And the first thing we want to note is that through Jesus Christ... We have freedom from the power of sin. Now note this. It is through Jesus that we have freedom from the power of sin. This is not that you and I have the ability to overcome sin on our own. But it's through him that we have this power. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now what's this saying? Jesus is saying here that if you sin, that you're a slave to that. You're in bondage to that sin. Any of you know how that feels? I imagine you do. Do you have that sin that that so easily entangles you, that thing that just just doesn't seem to let go, and you feel like, okay, I got it licked this time. It's like going out and playing golf. I tell Jay when he comes back from the golf course, sometimes he'll go out and he'll say, you know, Dad, I was working on my swing, and I think I figured it out. I've been there. I know how that is, and I know what the next round's going to look like. You know, I think I've got it licked. I think I've overcome this. I think I've done it. And then all of a sudden, you get tripped up again into the very same sin. And so trying to do it by willpower, trying to do it alone, it's a bit of a challenge. We we become enslaved to that, in, in bondage to that. But what Jesus is saying here is, because they, they, had, they had physical slavery back then, the son, under the authority of his father, could come and set a slave free in the family. And that slave would be just as free as if the father had come and set him free. Now get this. This is what Jesus is saying. Under the authority of his father, he has the authority and the power and the right to set you free from bondage to sin. This is no small thing. Jesus is saying that through him, you can have victory. You can have triumph. You can overcome. That he will lift you from the slimy pit and place your feet upon a rock and you can praise him for delivering you. This is crucial. This is, this is important for us to understand that Jesus has the power, the authority to set us free from the power of sin. You and I do not have to live in submission to sin. You are set free through the power of Jesus Christ. Paul echoed the same thing in Romans chapter 6. 
He said, sin shall no longer be your master. Sin will not be your master any longer because you have the authority in Jesus Christ to overcome, to live victorious over that sin that trips you up. You can have a new life. This, for some of you, is you need to, you need to receive this because you've been living with some kind of besetting sin for many years, perhaps decades. And you've wondered, why can't I get over this? Why can't I get through this? And what I want to encourage you to do today is not to exert more willpower, but to call upon the power of the Almighty who could speak and bring all things into creation. It is that power that can set you free. And so first, what we want to note is that we have been, we've been freed from the power of sin, but that is, that's not all. Secondly, through Jesus Christ, we are freed from the penalty of sin. We're free from the power of sin. It has no power over us anymore, but we're also free from the penalty of sin. Did you notice as what Jesus was in that first sermon that he preached? He mentioned something towards the, towards the end of that. He said that he was here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what does that mean? I want to give you just a, just a short history lesson because we need to understand what Jesus is saying here because if we want to be freed, then we need to get this. The year of the Lord's favor would be equivalent to the year of Jubilee that we find way back in Leviticus chapter 25. Jesus is making a reference back to something that God established way back when early in Jewish history. Now, what is the year of Jubilee? Why is this important for us? God's command was that every seventh year, Israel was to observe a Sabbath for the land. In other words, every seventh year, they were not to till the land, plant seed, and harvest a crop. They were to trust the Lord's provision during that seventh year. I'm not sure if Israel ever did that. That's got to be hard, isn't it? To trust God for a year. That I'm going to work for six. And I'm going to trust Him in the seventh. It takes planning and faith together. Two, two of which we lack a lot of. Both planning and faith. Now, that wasn't all. At the end of 49 years, which would be seven sevens. Seven years, seven times. At the end of 49 years, on the Day of Atonement... A trumpet was to sound throughout the land, inaugurating the year of Jubilee. It was a time when all debts were forgiven. You owed someone something, the debt was forgiven. It was a time when slaves were freed. It may have been a lot of slavery back then was, was because people went into debt and they couldn't pay their debts, and so what they did was they gave themselves over as slaves or they gave their children over as slaves to work off the debt. The end of at these 49 years, all slaves would be set free. Every dispossessed family, their land would be returned to them. Land was, if you remember, God gave the people a land, and then as, as Joshua went in, they divided the land. The land was very precious to them. That's one of the reasons that right now in the Middle East, there's so much issues over land. It's very precious to them. They're, they're, they're tied to the land. But as things happened, people had to sell their land. People had to sell a portion of their land. 
at the end of that 49 years, that land was returned to them so it could stay back in the family. What was happening was God was giving a new generation a new start, a fresh start, a new beginning. It was all graciously to be restored in the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. You see, people didn't earn that back. If they were, if they were a slave, they, they may not have paid off their debt. If they owed something, they may not have paid off that debt. If they had to sell their land, it may have been their fault. It may have been by mismanagement. It may have been because of criminal behavior. Who knows why they lost it? But at the end of that 49 years, everything was to get reset. Don't you wish life had a reset button? Well, that's the way God designed it for the Jewish people. With a reset button, a new start, a year of the Lord's favor. Now, here's, here's what Jesus means. When Jesus came proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, he was declaring that our debt to sin was going to be paid, and it would be paid on the cross. That our debt to sin, what we owed for our sinful behavior, was going to be paid in full on the cross. That is why Jesus could say unequivocally on the cross, it is finished. It's done. The debt has been paid. You no longer owe the penalty for your sin. And so not only have we been freed from the power of sin, we have also been freed from the penalty of sin. This is what uh, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. When you were dead, when you were separated from God, you were made alive in Christ. That's a passive thing. You didn't do that. It was done to you. You were made alive in Christ, all your sins forgiven. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your trans... Are you getting a kind of a picture here? Dead in your sins, dead in your transgressions. I mean, you were in bad shape. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work within those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, here's here's what's behind it. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Would you do me a favor? I want you to circle three words on your grace notes that are really, really significant. And the first of those words is love. Because of his great love for us. And just right, right beside that, John 3.16, because of his great love for us, the motivating factor of love, for God so loved the world. You see how Scripture all ties together? The second word I want you to circle in that is, is mercy. You see that? Mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. This is God's, we're seeing two sides of God's love, mercy and, and then grace, which is the next word I want you to circle. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. You see how big God's love is? We don't get what we do deserve. 
which is death and eternal separation from God in hell. We don't get that. Instead, what we get is what we don't deserve. New life, a relationship with God, and an eternity in heaven with Him. That's a pretty good deal, folks. That is awesome. For God to love me so much that He wouldn't give me death and hell, but instead gives me life and eternity with Him in heaven. This is what God wants to do. This is why it's so important to know that the penalty is paid. We are freed as believers through Jesus Christ. We are freed from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin. We who believe in Jesus Christ, we're living in the year of the Lord's favor. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor. That's exactly what Gene was singing about. This morning, the end of the beginning, it was a a new start for us. Third, through Jesus Christ, we have freedom from guilt and condemnation. Now, this flows out of the other two. When we're free from the power of sin and we're free from the penalty of sin, then we also have freedom from guilt and condemnation. This is what Jesus said. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And it's echoed in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. You stand clean before the Almighty, not because of your works, not because of your goodness, but because of the completed work of Jesus whose blood paid the price for your sin and secured your standing before the throne. It was because of what Jesus has done for you. We sang it this morning at the cross. Jesus didn't do that for no reason. If you could have been made right with God, if you could have been saved by any other means, then the death of Jesus was unnecessary. But God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross to pay for the penalty of your sin so that you would not be condemned in His presence. That is why the writer of Hebrews tells us to approach the throne of grace with confidence or boldness. We can come before God. And this is one of the lies of Satan. This is one of the things he'll do to you. If you're a child of God, your sins are forgiven. God looks at you as his child. God looks at you through eyes of love, grace, mercy. You can come to God's throne. You can boldly, with confidence, come to the throne of grace, knowing that God isn't going to get up and walk out. He's not going to turn his back on you and leave. God's not going to wag his head and shake his finger going, tisk, tisk, tisk. You can come before the throne because it's not your goodness that got you there to begin with. It was the goodness of Jesus Christ. Now, it is true that the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin, but he does it so that you may turn back to God, not to make you feel like dirt. But he will never condemn you. For you stand before him in the righteousness of Christ, not in your own righteousness. We have been freed 
from guilt and condemnation. And the lie of Satan is that God doesn't want you filthy varmint in his presence. That you are not worthy to pray. You are not worthy to worship. You are not worthy to spend time alone with God. You are not worthy to serve God. You are too dirty. You are too filthy. You are too bad. God doesn't want you. God doesn't need you. Go, go sit over there in the corner and, and, and just wallow in self-pity. Satan can't have your soul. Not if you're a child of God. You belong to him. So if he can't have your soul, then what he wants to do is to make you feel so guilt-ridden, so sorry, so dirty, that number one, you don't dare go to him in prayer. And if you do, it's the simple, you know, thank you for the food, let me get out of here before God catches me prayer. And you won't serve him. You won't step forward and say, okay, God, here I am, use me. I'm a vessel. Use me, God. Pour yourself into me and pour out of me into this world. You won't do it. You have been set free through Jesus Christ from guilt and condemnation. Fourth, through Jesus Christ, we have freedom from legalism. We have freedom from legalism. Now, what is legalism? Legalism is trying to earn God's favor by doing good works or following a set of religious rituals or rules. That's what legalism is, trying to earn the favor of God. Now, we've already read that that's kind of ridiculous. We don't earn the favor of God. It's given to us. That's why it's favor. That's why it's grace. If we had to do if it were our own righteousness, if it were our own goodness then we'd be in trouble. Isaiah the prophet said that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Now get this. We understand if it said all of our sinful acts are like filthy rags, wouldn't we? But it says all of our righteous acts, apart from Christ, is, we see that now, apart from Christ, are filthy rags. That's the best we can do on our own. It doesn't measure up. It doesn't add up. So instead of earning God's favor by our own efforts, we receive God's favor as a free gift from His hand. We don't earn it. We receive it as a free gift from God's hands. This is so hard for some people to conceive. They feel like, if I'm going to be right with God, I've got to earn it. I'll come forward and and profess my faith in Jesus Christ after I get my life straightened out. After I conquer this habitual sin in my life. After I overcome my addiction. I'll come to Jesus Christ once I've cleaned myself up. Then I will come. Well, I got to tell you something. You ain't coming if if that's your standards. And if you did clean yourself up, If you did overcome that habitual sin, overcome that addiction, and then come before God, you still wouldn't be clean in His sight. Our sin separates us from God. We are all unclean, is what the Scripture says. None of us deserves to be in the presence of God. If any of us are going to be saved, it is not going to be because we were good enough. It is not going to be because we were clean enough. It is going to be because what Jesus did for us was more than sufficient. He did everything necessary for our salvation. 
This is what the scripture says. For it is by grace, there's that word again, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God and it's not by works so that no one can boast. No one will ever stand before God and say, okay, God, look at me. Come on, God. Give it your best shot. Turn the lights on. Look at me. Aren't I good enough to get into heaven? And my picture is like a bug zapper at that point. You know, no. Matter of fact, once we get up in the presence and we see God in his holiness, the very thought of saying, God, look at me, I'm good enough, will be totally evaporated from our minds. For you and I cannot even perceive of utter holiness and purity. It won't even cross our minds. But when we stand before the presence of God, we will not boast about what we have done, but we will cling to what Jesus has done for us. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes to a group of believers. He asked them questions. He said, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what was heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? You see, we not only begin with the Spirit, but we walk with the Spirit all the way through. We're saved by grace. We are kept by that same grace. This is not our work. And we're not going to earn God's favor. When we, when we serve God, we serve God out of gratitude and praise. Not out of obligation. That's the way God wants it. That's why he says when we give, that we're not to give, give reluctantly or under compulsion. Because God loves a, what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. God, when you put your heart into it. Then God says, yes, that's what I'm looking for. We're not trying to earn God's favor by doing him a favor. By trying to impress him with our goodness and impress him with our religiosity. God's not interested in that. He's interested in this, your heart. It's not about legalism. And we were, and, and, and we were set free from legalism, having to earn God's favor. Now, Really quickly, I'm going to wrap this up. How can you and I experience this freedom? And this is true whether we're talking about those things we've talked about or any other kind of bondage that you may be experiencing in your life. How can we experience this freedom? First of all, believe in Jesus. That's the beginning of it. Believe in Jesus. Without it, it's hopeless. You're not going to experience that freedom. It's not for you. We begin by believing in Jesus. Jesus came to set you free, but you must receive what he has to give. John chapter 1, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This morning, if you need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you come in here saying, you know what, I'm a sinner, then guess you're in the right place. Because every one of us came to Jesus Christ acknowledging that we were sinners in desperate need of a Savior.
That's the beginning of being free, is to believe in Jesus. Secondly, rest in grace. If you're a believer, rest in grace. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what he told Paul. That's what he's telling us. My grace is sufficient for you. It is enough. We can do nothing to earn God's favor. We must receive it, embrace it, rest in it, live in it. Living in that grace will set us free from all kinds of guilt and condemnation. It'll set us free from all kinds of of being tripped up by sin. So believe in Jesus, rest in grace, and then finally live by faith. God's Word puts it this way, the righteous will live by faith, and that we live by faith and not by sight. I like the way that Solomon put it in Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. That's what God wants for your life. He has a path. He has a course for your life. And He is willing to guide you along that path But it begins by trusting in Him. Trusting in Him. Putting our faith in Him. Living in that faith each and every day. You and I are called to live in liberty in Jesus Christ. We must choose to live in that freedom. And we must choose it daily.